a Highline podcast. We live in a complicated and fascinating world that invites us to dive deep into its intricacies. Exploring the ideas and events that excite, intrigue, irritate, and confound us is how we graduate our knowledge beyond meme culture. Join us over a cocktail as we expand our understanding and share in the beauty we find along the way. I'm Stephen Torna. I'm Kat Dwyer. And I'm Stephen Henning. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. Friends, welcome back to the Whiskey Bench. How are y'all doing tonight? I'm glad to be drinking whiskey. I'll put it that way. Oh yeah, yeah. It so. <laughs> this sounds like I'm gonna about to blame my wife for my uh, my mm. fatigue, but she had surgery <laughs> on her hand on Monday. That pretty much just put an entire limb of hers out of commission. Also, it's very painful. So like I've been mm. running the house, taking care of her, and working. It's crazy. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a little bit of that. It's your but, Friday wind down. Absolutely. She's healing well. Good. And I'm ready to just hang out with you guys for an hour or so. That's awesome. Well, I hope that she recovers quickly. And obviously, well, not obviously, but knowing Dixie, once it's healed, she's going to hit the ground running, making all sorts she, of cool art. So She's already trying to draw with, so she has her thumb and her index finger on that, on her dominant uh-huh. hand is where she had surgery. She has just the pinchers, the thumb and the index finger. And Those she's are the just, two most important, I think. They are pretty important, but they don't have a huge <laughs> range of motion still. So she's just like trying to like gingerly hold the Apple pencil with the one little <laughs> point of contact on the grip. It's very good to watch. It's very cute. Um, Maybe she'll create a new style. I think she'll she's discover headed that something for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Maybe that's how Picasso started with his stuff. He like hurt Maybe. himself, and he's like, "Oh man, I can only do shitty art now." <laughs> but people it's like a it. Joke. <laughs> <laughs> Picasso, not for me. Not for not me. Not for me. Actually, I don't. I don't mind. I don't mind Picasso. He's he's right. Oh my god. He's he proved right. himself. He proved himself early in his career to know the f- fundamentals of art. He knew what he was he doing, and then he started it. experimenting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Then he got freaky with it. Yeah. Got freaky with Picasso, it. Picasso, freaky with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's his Twitter bio. Got freaky yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know much about him, but yeah, a lot of artists that time. Drugs, sex, nascent drugs. What maybe would be rock and roll. Y- yeah. Yeah. You say artists at the time as if that's not how any artist now <laughs> operates. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Never mind. That's pretty good. Cat, what about you? The What's the four one one? Oh, you know, just living life. <laughs> no, things <laughs> scored are fine. Some, scored some free stuff on the road today. I, I see. It looked like what? Some cans of beans, couple cans Man. of chili, and a beer chugging helmet. <laughs> that was a fucking score if I ever saw one. And yeah, what was the I was, movie? Um, what was the DVD? Uh, <laughs> Paranormal Activity 2. Okay. Two! The <laughs> second one you got for free. That's amazing. With some well, beans. So I was on... Well, actually, it's chili with no beans. It's just... Oh, it's beanless beef. chili. It's beanless chili. Okay. Hey. 
Which I guess is it's just like low quality ground beef and yeah, like canned beef and like Ugh. stewed tomatoes or something. I don't all know. Right, right. But anyways, yeah, Ugh. I was um, as right. I actually came across this yesterday. I was on a oh. run in my neighborhood, and yeah. and I saw uh, a free sign, and I was like, oh, free stuff. And as I got closer, it was just this pile of assorted things. A as we just mentioned, Paranormal Activity Two DVD. Mm-hmm. Two cans of beanless chili mm-hmm. and a uh, beer helmet, like a yeah. helmet with like holsters on the side to hold beer cans and then hoses to like you feed took, it into you your took mouth. took the helmet, right? Well, so yes, I did take the helmet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So I saw you did. this and I was like, this is the best assortment of free things mm-hmm. I've ever seen. So I had to capture it and take a photo. And then I was like, I have to take this helmet home with me you wore it because there will, there run, will right? be no <laughs> that would have been really great i should have done and that and you should have loaded some cans of of the chili, of chili <laughs> into the and then by the time you got home okay hear me out you you load you load that beanless chili into your beer helmet you yeah. slurp that down on your way home you it's- pop in paranormal activity too guaranteed to scare the shit out of you <laughs> scare all those beans right on okay or this beef so Mo- motion to nickname this piece of headgear the chili chugger. Yes. The chili chugger. <laughs> I love it. Oh my god, hell yeah. The chili chugger. I'm into it. Yeah, that's what it is. That makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> I didn't I didn't wear it on the way home. I should have, but I was running with it mm-hmm. and I definitely got a handful of people right. who were like, "What is that thing yeah. in your hand? That big old So you red get thing. So you get what is Arguably the most charismatic combination of free products and items home. And what do you do from there? <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, I'm just going to, that hat is going to be uh, priceless. There are many mm-hmm. uses. There are many events. There's I'd a- like to see Henning chug and chill. Load up. No. White claws. Want, yeah, two white claws. Oh, God. <laughs> I want you to load up a black cherry and a lemon, the two worst possible flavors. Oh, no. <laughs> this is fact. This is true. That black Yikes, cherry one on. has the aftertaste of like the worst cough medicine you could find. <laughs> Not you know, I've never had a white claw. I like them. Watermelon's pretty good. I like lime. Lime Mango's is great. Shocker, right? I'm a lime fan. Do you, you want like one lime? after this? Mm. I don't know. Today's the day. Speaking after of this, which, after this, this we're going we're gonna to reel it in a little bit more fine. We're going to refine the palate mm. from canned beef. Yeah. We're uh, sipping pretty. Yeah, we are. Which is the name of a great beer, by the way. But we're sipping on a Vieux Carré, a very, very nice cocktail that I haven't had in a long time, but I was reminded of this cocktail because... Uh, Mr. Tim and Sarah Legacy told me that it is one of their favorite cocktails, which I will be featuring at his birthday party. Hell yeah, dude. I heard about this party last week. I'm so excited. And you're going to be there? I will be there. That's great. You best believe I'll be there. We'll get to partake in one of these. So this is a good opportunity for me to make it, try it. Um, There's a few things I'm probably going to adjust to make it right. He said he's pretty picky about it and i can't remember the, the guy's name but there's a bartender in billings that apparently makes a phenomenal one so i have big shoes to fill <laughs> but i'm very very excited to be drinking this tonight 
It is three quarters an ounce of rye, three quarters an ounce of sweet vermouth, three quarters an ounce of cognac, and then a handful of dashes of both aromatic bitters as well as peshad bitters, uh, and then a bar spoonful of St. Benedictine. Give it a little shake, wow. and uh, throw a lemon twist in there. It's very, very good. It's also very, very French. So the Vieux Carré is, well, basically like French Quarter in New Orleans. That's where the drink originates. Uh, but just the ingredients in it just screams New Orleans because you've got the cognac. Very, very widely popular in New Orleans. Um, and then you also see the element of rye. So I want to say it was, this, oh, was it the late 1800s. There was a locust plague in France. Hmm. It wiped out all the grapes. Not all the grapes, but most of the grapes. So it was really hard to get cognac in the United States. So that's why you see the French Quarter and New Orleans switching over to rye and all of their brandy cocktails. Mm. So you get the elements of the cognac and the rye. St. Benedictine is a French herbal liqueur. Peshad bitters comes from New Orleans, from a Dr. Peshad who was a pharmacist. All around, pretty good. Now we taste. It's... uh. Layered. Very layered. And I used a, a very botanical um, or more botanical sweet vermouth than others are, like Antica, which is a really good uh, vermouth. So you're getting like a lot of... And then you have the bitter herbal St. Benedictine. There's not much in there, but... There is something kind of floral about yeah, it. Yeah, probably. But the rye kind of makes it like a... I don't know, like a damper, smokier, heavier mm-hmm. floral, You've got which like is the, nice. The heat and spice from the rye. Mm-hmm. And then you have the body from the vermouth and St. Benedictine, which are kind of sticky and honey-like. Well, St. Benedictine is basically distilled spirit with honey and herbs. So you have the stickiness mm. of the honey and the floralness from the honey and all the herbs. Dandelion, mm. kind of raisiny. Yeah, I pick up on the raisiny. And then you get that smooth grape from both the vermouth and the cognac. I don't know. It's very nice. Yeah, it's surprising. I haven't had a drink like that before. And it has elements I'd expect with gin, but mm-hmm. it's quite nice paired with whiskey. Yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. Sounds complex. Yeah. It is. Good color, too. It's like, beautiful. uh, um, like the resin of a, what am I trying to, what am I thinking of? Mosquitoes are trapped in it. Oh, like an amber. Amber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Jurassic Park stuff. There that you was go. the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> I mean, see, the yeah, tree sap, that's what it is, but. Mm, yes, thank you. <laughs> there you go. It has a beautiful amber color. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm into it. I have a beautiful Sir, brown syrupy color whiskey. I'm back on my Lagavulin and Eleven Offerman Limited finished in a Guinness cask. How much you got left in that bottle? Oh, I'm, I'm I haven't even hit halfway yet. Nice. I'm savoring this one. It's got a long way to go. Good. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, especially since the that one weekend that I bought all the stuff to make margaritas. 
we've been drinking some margs around the house for a while. Oh, nice. Yeah, it warms my heart that you're drinking cocktails. <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah, working on it. Um, turns out it is insanely delicious. I essentially made the exact same recipe, um, but my wife is not a huge fan of tequila. She mm. is a fan of rum, though, and we have a 12-year-old Kirk and Sweeney on our shelf. And basically margarita, but rum instead of tequila is Which I'm pretty sure delightful. is like a daiquiri. Yeah. Lime I, and rum and sugar. It, it is delightful. I'm a huge fan. Nice. <laughs> we haven't even touched on any of the daiquiris yet. Jordan loves daiquiris. I love daiquiris. Absolutely. I love tiki drinks. I love rum. Yeah, you like rum a lot. I like skunky, like, banana-y rum. So good. <laughs> I had one bad experience with rum, and I've never really gone back that well uh you gotta <laughs> drink that good stuff some drinks do that yeah, yeah. chuck and bacardi or something no it was too uh. many mai tais uh yeah wait how many is too many i don't even know like you might want to six can you use the my brother's unit seven of years the older than chuggers? me how many chili chuggers of <laughs> <laughs> like a dozen it was oh probably like oh, i don't even know i probably had like six or seven with like no food and you know yeah being Woof. young and yeah that packs a that punch jazz. right there it's enough to get you going yeah that's gross. yes yes it absolutely does like force fed chicken and rice later and didn't keep that down I, yeah. it was like a whole day i remember if i had to guess if i had to guess six my ties is probably equivalent to like i don't know 18 beers oh my god <laughs> yeah. yeah just think that about would that do, that's pretty that's dangerous and all right the sugar there. it was yeah. the sugar i think it's the sugar that grosses me out it's uh, not even the alcohol itself it's just like the sugariness but it's been a while yeah get back on the saddle yeah here you go <laughs> good time to remind every listener that you should drink responsibly don't yes, use drink responsibly chili chuggers you guys always what have to hell? say that after I talk about the No, no. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you guys a story then. I um I had just turned 21 and I went out to Washington to visit my parents for my birthday. And my dad for my birthday got a bottle of 16-year-old Lagavulin. And um this is when I learned that I don't get hangovers and neither does he. We have like this genetic gift for we can drink as much as we want uh, granted it was also we drank a ton of whiskey and it wasn't anything sugary or like mm-hmm. or wine mixed or wine yeah. or yeah wine so but um we opened it the night of my birthday and we each had like a rock glass or two you know probably like a double shot you know that first night mm-hmm. that's the second night we were there though we started playing cards and um, he and I were not really paying attention. We just kept like topping off and we basically split an entire bottle of whiskey and finished it in a night. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and by the end of it, I was like, for some reason I was the one still in charge of choosing the music on Spotify. And I swear, like I was holding like three phones. I was seeing so many multiples of everything oh god it took me 20 <laughs> minutes to get up the stairs oh no <laughs> because it was like one at a time i was like army crawling up the stairs oh, and god. then like i would make one move and then i was just like i gotta rest 
Give me a sec. <laughs> just, at one point, I did fall asleep on the stairs trying to get to my bed. It was it was an intense night, but by the the grace of the good Lord, I do not get hangovers. And woke up pretty okay the next morning. I was very impressed with my with my body. Uh, nice. All right. Well, I got two stories about hangovers that don't involve me, but um, I was at. Uh, Music under the big sky this last weekend. Big music festival in Whitefish. Oh, yeah. Heard a ton of great music. I got to see Jason Isbell in the 400 unit, which has been a dream of mine for years now. He was phenomenal. Everything I expected and more. <laughs> uh, Charlie Crockett was everything I expected and more. Mandolin Orange, everything I expected and more. And then uh, Coulter Wall was really good as well. And there was a bunch of other great artists, but those are kind of my favorite ones that I saw. But uh, while I was watching Charlie Crockett, I met this group of uh, um, people from Texas. There was like two, I think they were twins. They were probably like six, seven and built from Texas. They had great accents and <laughs> they were both married to just tiny women, probably like five one. It was kind of hilarious. <laughs> um, God. But they were going so hard. They were the amount of weed that they were smoking <laughs> and beers that they were pounding was inconceivable. But I was talking to one of the guys and I was like, you know what? Like, how you like Montana? He's like, oh man, I love it here. Never been. They're going to be touring all around. And I was like, you know what? Montanans and Texans, like we really get along because we've got a lot in common. Like we both love our states. And I was like, we're, we're more alike than you think. And he just, he bends over. He's like, yeah, you know what? Like us Texan folk, we go hard, but like, we're kindly folk. Oh, nice. <laughs> and then he just like glazed over. <laughs> Coming oh back to the concert. I was like, oh, you're giant, but also kind of cute and wholesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A gentle giant. <laughs> and then uh, the campground we were staying at, the next, after the first night we got up, we were just cooking breakfast, kind of doing our own thing. And this one dude gets up, that's in the campsite across from us, looks absolutely awful. He gets out of the tent, kind of stumbles over to the car. He opens a white claw and he shotguns it Oof. at, oh. I don't know, probably 9 a.m. Get her going. And then he like makes coffee and cooks breakfast. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's just riding it all weekend. Okay. He needed a I helmet. Had a, I had a good hair of the dog day that started with you, actually. Where? What did I do? The first time we went and hung out, we like drank a fair amount that night. And then yeah, the next yeah. day. We and went out I, for breakfast. Yeah, and then the next day I was like, do you want to go get breakfast? Because mm -hmm. I was just like, <laughs> I mean, I got home so late. Yeah, we went to Open Range. We went to Keyhole. Yeah. Uh, we had a lot of Negronis. We went to, uh, what's the place down? The, the Crystal. The Crystal. We went Definitely to the crystal. went to the Crystal. Yeah. Yeah. And then went home, and then the next day I was like, Wow, I think I'm I think I'm still a little bit drunk. <laughs> yeah, then Let's we went go get to, breakfast. We went to a jam. Then we went to beers jam at like nine. And had beers, it yeah. It was great. <laughs> and then Torna went off to go be productive. I like barely knew you then. I was like, oh, this guy isn't judging me for how much I'm drinking. And then I just proceeded to keep drinking. I had like seven beers that day. Whoa. <laughs> it was great. Hair of the dog. That's my favorite, honestly, when the hair of the dog just turns into like round two. Right on. Those are fun. <laughs> Drink responsibly. This yeah. is a silly question, but, but I've, I've never like heard the term hair beard. of the dog. 
Oh, where, really? Where does yeah, this come it's from? Like, I actually don't know the background to it. But the idea is that like when you're hungover, have a little more and it'll ease the hangover. But I don't know. I don't know what hair of the dog. How does like, that translate that into from. the metaphor? Is what I'm wondering now. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to check on that one. That's actually very interesting. Yeah. Maybe we do a whole episode on that. Saints? I feel like I have a ton of great stories, but I feel like you guys are going to be like, censor me. So I'm just not even hey, going to I'm, I'm not here to censor anybody. <laughs> Other people might try, but they will fail. <laughs> yeah. I just don't have many fun stories. I was a good Christian kid who really didn't drink until I turned 21. So, which is very responsible and I'm pretty proud of it, but. If nothing crazy. What else we got going on? Any bookkeeping for this week? From last week? I mean, obviously, Bezos made it to space. Made it to space. Yep. Nicely done. Uh, Can we talk about his cowboy boots and cowboy hat? Yeah, I noticed those boots. I love hats and boots, but like with a space suit. His space cowboy. Yeah. I thought it was kind of funny that that was his theme. I thought he could have done a better job picking better boots and a better hat, honestly. The hat was weird. The boots seemed nice. They were just a light brown. Yeah, they were like kind of square toed. I figured he'd, since you can't see him, I like a square toe, yeah. but since you can't see much else of the boots, I figured he'd like have a more dramatic toe. Yeah. These are the things I noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Something exotic. My favorite meme showed, uh, the, it was an old photo of the Wright brothers testing an airplane. And then it had like, like modern depiction of Twitter mob people in the corner who were like, yes. these elitists wasting resources on this stupid technology. When they could be providing <laughs> bicycles for yeah, the yeah. masses or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh. Put things in perspective. Right. Good take. <laughs> I liked all the Twitter jokes about the uh, profile of the rocket itself. That right. Was pretty funny. Oh, yeah. I had heard. I had heard. There was a, I think it must have been Real Daily Wire did a, someone did a f- hilarious compilation where it was the rocket taking off and then they cut to, um, from, uh, oh, God. Uh, damn it. What's that movie? Why is this happening? Is it a space movie? <laughs> it's like a play on doc on uh bond what was it called austin powers austin powers oh, thank yeah. you jeez i'm girl remember how he had like a penis shaped rocket yes i most definitely yeah, it, like cu- i kept cutting back and forth between like the footage of the rocket <laughs> taking of bezos taking off and then like clips from that movie yes. <laughs> when like everyone in the command center is like what is that thing, sir? Like looking <laughs> on the radar. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Hey, you know what? All those engineers, they're like, we can't. This is the most aerodynamic thing we can come up with. <laughs> this is my bad. Sorry. Yeah. Not my fault. Y'all have 12 year old brains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. My, I was personally pretty proud of my own tweet. Um, I hope that the blue origin model rocket available in the merch store is dishwasher safe. Wait, I didn't get that one. It's a dildo joke. Me neither. About dishwasher safe oh, silicone. <laughs> oh. Okay. Uh, Are dildos usually dishwasher no safe? Flaw, yeah. No pun intended. That just went right over my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. You had to be yeah, there. Me too. Or something. <laughs> or something. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Oh, that's funny. Yep. So what's libertarianism? Are we should we just dive right on in? This, is that what we're discussing tonight? This is a great yeah. question. I've been curious to just, I don't know, define our terms feels like a really goofy way to go about it. But uh, when we talk about, when the three of us talk about libertarianism, I've been really curious to kind of get to the root of what we're talking about. Because when I first uh, discovered libertarianism, I heard it as shorthand for, like, people would describe it very briefly by saying they are uh, fiscally conservatives, socially liberal, and, like, small government. Mm -hmm. Right? But... So like I guess I guess with those terms in mind like what do you what do you think of that definition or just what what you like cat you've you've talked about um what being classical liberal means to you which is very different from what might be identified as like a democrat or progressive or anything like that so right yeah when we say libertarian what exactly do we mean cuz i the three of us don't strike us or strike me as People who would literally like register in the Libertarian Party. I mean, I'm registered as Libertarian. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> then my impression yeah. was wrong. I didn't yeah, know I'm this. Registered as Libertarian. That's right how on. I vote. Nice. That doesn't mean you always have a Libertarian candidate to vote for. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. If I had to affiliate with a party, it would be that party. Um, mm hmm. I have a couple thoughts on what you've just said, uh, Henning. I think, um, I think the fiscally conservative, socially liberal uh, characterization is largely fair, but like, I think that's. But like, it's also kind of a misnomer because, like, yes. conservatives aren't actually that like fiscally responsible. <laughs> Increasingly, fair. so they're Very not. True. Like, in if we're talking just in the terms of like government, mm -hmm. they're not right. Trump spent money out with the wazoo yeah um, and most republicans don't even like talk about fiscal constraint anymore at all or like the deficit or i mean they don't really have a leg to stand on there um i mean they just vote for massive spending so right and and liberals the american meaning of liberal like the progressive democrat um I don't think they really have like a laissez-faire approach to social issues. I think that they just have a different idea of how society should be managed than Republicans. But I think both Democrats and Republicans aim to manage society. Mm -hmm. They just have different goals. So I think, yes, as like shorthand, like that is how people describe libertarianism. And it, I guess, like works largely for just kind of initial impression. But like. If you dig into what those words actually mean, like it's kind of a misnomer, I think. Small limited government is very accurate. That's kind yes, of, that's small definitely, limited government that's is a yeah. cornerstone. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's what small government, but predominantly what's the what's the buzz phrase? Uh non aggression principle. Yeah. They're like they're opposed to foreign intervention and and war well, yeah well not even is that, that but just mean? like the the non-aggression principle just in that like nothing is permissible that like imposes force against somebody else 
Mm, yeah. And that's why government's such an issue because right. they pretty much have, in my opinion, a monopoly on violence. They do. They absolutely do. <laughs> and that's like a classic libertarian thought. Monopoly? Um, uh, let's drill in on monopoly. They're the only, they're the only power that is there's, sanctioned there's, yeah. to commit violence. There's no one above them that can stop them from... Criminals commit violence, sure. But they are largely held to the law. Mm -hmm. Governments can act violently all the time. And they're not really, I mean, technically they're beholden to the people that put them into power. But like we like to believe practically speaking. Right. They have a monopoly on violence. And when. okay, so when you say violence, we're including like. Boots on ground anywhere or. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it could be physical violence or it could be other forms of what could be interpreted as violence, I suppose. Limiting freedom could be considered a form of violence. Yeah. Sure. Like individual actors inside like the military complex can be charged for like war crimes or whatever, but the government itself is kind of unfortunately above that. Is that what uh, yes. And we've seen that in history as far as, in quote, elites of government being trialed for things. Mm. You can get away with stuff. Do you do you yeah. want anyone over the government that can like try the United States government for No, you want a limited government, government that doesn't have that much power. And so the people actually have the accountability yeah. that they yeah. are led to believe they have. So that's kind of that's definitely a cornerstone. Yeah. I I'd say that the core principles and like libertarianism and classical liberalism are largely synonymous. Um One's more a European classic liberalism is more recognizable or prominent from like a European standpoint, British specifically. Yeah, right. It's rooted in sort of um, in like what 14th century. No, that's too early. Um, But yeah, like 16th century, like thinkers first stemming out of England and spreading throughout Europe, but and then over the pond to the United States, obviously with our founding and libertarianism kind of grew out of what was considered classical liberalism. It kind of emerged and evolved. And then in the post-World War II era, it kind of had a renaissance. And that's when like the economist Murray Rothbard kind of not reimagined, but just like communicated in a different way redefined not even redefined that's not accurate like just kind of started communicating classical liberalism in a way that kind of re renamed it recoined the phrase into libertarianism um but if you look at like the core principles of both things they're not they're not really different they're a part of each other Mm. um i guess libertarians maybe like the evolution of classical liberalism at least in the united states um to torna's point like liberal in the united states that term has sort of been i would say corrupted it means the opposite of what it used to mean and what it does largely mean in other nations around the world which it used to mean and it does mean in other nations like limited government individual rights a free market private property and in the modern american context it usually is associated with like bigger government, more mm-hmm. state control, 
which is why I've kind of started to shift and refer to that as leftism. Yeah, it'd be cool to like take back the word liberal for yeah. sure. Liberalism. That would be in neat. General. Yeah. But yeah, I would say like the core principles of classical liberalism and libertarianism are um private property rights is like a fundamental mm-hmm. core concept, a free market economy, basic rule of law so that a market economy and like private property rights can be can function right, right. give like, people well, property rights have to be enforced so yeah. that a free market can function and then and then just like basic constitutional guarantees of like freedom of speech freedom of assembly freedom of the press etc and taxation is theft <laughs> it's another right <laughs> so there's, so another there's the big liber- one yeah, yeah. <laughs> which and i don't even know if uh practically libertarians think that Taxation is theft, but no, they definitely no. value, they know that tax is inevitable, but they, they value uh, minimizing it for everyone. Yes. And I think that slogan they, isn't meant to say, like, don't pay your taxes. It's mm-hmm. meant to, like, to impart the idea that, like, that even if it's, a, if it's sanctioned by society, like, the government is a coercive force. Mm-hmm. And it is taking from you and Mm -hmm. spending your money on things that you haven't agreed to have your money spent on like even if as a concept society says like okay fine we'll pay taxes that is still that's not a voluntary exchange in the same sense that like me buying something directly from you torna is voluntary right and if you are good at negotiating we can come to agreement where both of us win right that's what a free market economy is right voluntary trade where both parties are better off anything that government is a part of ends up corrupting some element of enterprise there's some cost associated with every interference the government has Mm -hmm. maybe it's necessary but everything it touches there's a cost right yeah. And so that's why they like to limit it. I think. And so. It makes things inefficient. Yeah. And that's one of the big arguments too is government for the last 300 years has continually gotten its hands into more and more markets. Unnecessarily so. And it just leads to a lot of inefficiency. And inefficiency doesn't. It's not. That's not like a cold economic term. Inefficiency manifests in the real world as like you know goods being more expensive for poor people meaning their quality of life has gone down Mm -hmm. you know or like jobs not emerging and therefore young people can't get into the job market you know or whatever myriad of kind of unintended consequences but i think it's important to know that because inefficient i use that term all the time but it does kind of just sound like a cold heartless Mm -hmm. economic term but it means something in the real world yeah that has human impact. Yeah. Yeah. Cause exactly. I, I hear inefficient, but I also think that like having a dollar, like currency is incredibly efficient because I don't always have the cow that I want to trade for bags of rice or whatever, you know? Like, well, yeah. Libertarians aren't for like a barter system. <laughs> right. <laughs> although, for, although are, though, I will say and that's like the, the crazy. Well, I don't know if they are. I think they like private, you know, there's, 
uh, private currencies exist sure. and could exist. Decentralized. Yeah. This is why Bitcoin is huge yeah. for libertarians. And I think bartering right. is actually really good. And I know a lot of people that do it. And I hope to be able to partake in it more. Okay, people, well, you can't do that on a large scale. Uh, in our modern economy, you can't do that on a large yeah, scale. It'd be interesting to see people kind of work together and get around. People are clever. They're resourceful. Yeah, they'd come up with a currency that could <laughs> be traded. <laughs> Thank you. Of trading. Yes. <laughs> that's what they would. I mean, that's a brilliant human innovation, like mm-hmm. whatever. But yeah, <laughs> currencies being <laughs> monopulated by monopulated monopulated monopolized <laughs> manipulated and monopolized monopulated <laughs> that's a new word um, new branding right new there word. that's good yeah lost my train of thought i like it anyway new word yeah uh that uh, that was really distracting too because it's actually a great word um let's write it down uh oh gosh where are we going with this you think we can just barter for everything? Well, I, before I just that, that we were talking were, about inefficiencies think, okay. being cold, but oh, right, right. right. And we see that in a, in a lot of different branches. But going back to bartering, just real quick, I don't think a lot right. of people realize that like bartering is a thing. Do you don't tell. you don't think so? I I don't know. Like people trade work all the time or whatnot, but it's such a great way to just get around taxes completely. Well. You can also just pay for things cash under the table and get around taxes that way. How the entire like service industry functions <laughs> largely. Yeah, but at some point, <laughs> the other side of that though is the cash you are withdrawing, or the cash you're pulling. Like if it at any point encounters a bank, you know, like that's probably mm-hmm. it's already taxed through income tax. And I'm talking about like people that are trading sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars worth of labor for stuff. Building houses for supplies that people have, or like larger, but still that you can do on an individual level. Hmm. All right. Which is fancy. It's nice. I guess there's a role for bartering. I get, yeah. I'm not anti bartering, but I'm not anti currency. Just, I just hear, like, man, it would be so much easier if I just charged them $80,000 and then I bought the supplies I needed. You know? True. Like, the, the convenience <laughs> factor is so huge for me that I'm like, Hell yeah, the dollar. I'll take that. 30%. Yes, thank you. Oh, yeah. There's tax in there. That's the thing. Yeah. Hmm. But I've learned how to live with my taxes. I would and go live, through like, hell to not life. be taxed. Just to spite the government. <laughs> <laughs> that inconvenience is worth yeah. <laughs> not being inconvenienced by taxes. Exactly. Hmm. Taxes no, is a weird I, one because, I mean, like, do you think a lot of the anger around taxes for libertarians is, like, uh, we recognize that taxes are going to be a part of being, like, mm-hmm. a part under any government, right? Like, a government has to fund itself, like, and apart from the question of how they spend that money and where the waste is happening, is is the libertarian most angry and... uh like the loudest ones for taxation is theft. Is it basically like because I didn't have a seat at the table when the original social contract was drafted so that the government can tax me? Like I feel like I'm being robbed because I didn't have like an active choice and I was just born into the system of paying the taxes in this land. I think I, I think it's the rate of taxation. I think it's the amount of taxes. And I think the question 
we've just dismissed it. But the question of like how the money is spent is maybe the biggest part mm-hmm. of the frustration. Right. How it's spent, how much money there is in taxes. This, I mean, I, I've said this a million times on the show. Okay, let's not be dramatic. I've said it probably seven times on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I like I it. I love that. That was so good. That's there good... is, people complain about there not being enough funding. There is such an abundance oh my God. of money. Yeah. The problem is how much of it is wasted. And I think part of this stems from what I see as a, another core value of what a libertarian might um, perceive or how they view the world goes back to personal responsibility, but they have a mindset such that they realize that you don't necessarily value or take care of things that don't belong to you. Right. And letting the government do all these things is allowing them to waste money on things that don't belong to them. The government is to your, to building off of that idea, Mm -hmm. the government is kind of like this, uh, third party that creates that distorts market signals which market signals being like one human and another communicating on what they're willing to pay for a good or service and then through that conversation that negotiation you figure out what like the most efficient price is or whatever you know the market rate is government meddling distorts that communication it distorts price signals and as a result it makes things my favorite word less efficient Mm -hmm. (laughs) which means it makes things more expensive it makes goods and services less abundant and it makes individuals worse off in the long run in terms of like their material well-being so i think that's where a lot of the frustration stems from it's like having this big brother that's like taking some of your salary and then like wasting it and you don't really see a return on that and after a while you're just kind of like well shit Mm -hmm. i could be using these resources a hell of a lot better than you clearly are why do i have to keep giving you my resources right and you see it in welfare and things like that especially in bureaucracy yeah yeah. i mean how many like but just in as far as what the individual can do, like you give a hundred dollars to the government to help homeless people, right? I would be appalled to know <laughs> what the number is that actually like would go to something a dollar. I'm sure a lot less than that. Whereas you could take a hundred dollars and do a lot as an individual or nonprofit or things like that, right? And so there's this view, I think libertarians also part of limited government is realizing that it's not the duty of the government to take care of everything. And it seems to be that Republicans, less so than Democrats, but still in that leaning that way, want government to have control of all these things because they think that is the solution to the problems Mm. that we're facing. And we see that with all of the different, you know, what are they called? Not organizations, but all the different uh, agencies mm-hmm. that the government is a part of. And so I would be interested to, to hear from you guys what you think are the 
basic fundamental core agencies that are essential for government to function. We're going to take a quick break, then we'll be back to our conversation. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts. There you can leave us a five-star rating and a one or two sentence review to help others find the show. Thank you to Reagan James for the use of our theme music, The Habit, off her album, Message. Find her work on Spotify and Apple Music. And thanks to Highline Media Network for having us as a founding podcast. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, Ravel. The gut reaction of people is, well, they need to die. They need to be punished. And that is the form of punishment that we truly feel will will resolve what hmm. exactly? That's well, what I kind of me. get it in some ways. Like, I do think sometimes people are logically sound, even if I think it's an immoral stance. Right. No, like, exactly. Like, we're going to remove this person from society because they're a danger. That makes sense. It but makes like, sense. The morality of killing someone is like a whole nother jump, I think. And now, back to our conversation. I've got a list. Do you want to hear them? Yes. The Federal Reserve has to exist because they have to tax. Ha! Fuck the Fed. You don't need the Fed. Okay, but right now, like, there's <laughs> taxation as incentive. It'd be really, really difficult to get rid of that. Defense is probably number one for me. We have to have defense. Mm-hmm. Any sort of justice department, that has to exist. Police could be tied in with that. Same thing with military, like energy. I don't think we should have a Department of Energy. But like anything nuclear related should be tied in with the military. A lot of the things I think could be condensed into less agencies. I don't think there should be an education department. I don't think there should be a housing department. The FDA shouldn't exist. ATF shouldn't exist. The list goes on and on. There's like four agencies that I think everything would be fine if those four remained and the rest were removed. What's the beef with the FDA? I can, I'm, I'm okay with an FDA. <clears throat> I think the problem with the FDA is that they're incentivized to be slow on, this is mostly with drugs, they're incentivized to be slow on allowing beneficial drugs to pass, because if you're late to the party, there's no kickback, but if you make a mistake, careers are ruined. So they'd rather sit around and wait 10 years and put out a drug later that who knows how many lives were lost because that drug wasn't pushed through, then make a mistake and some lives are lost and then some people lose their jobs. And then as far as like, you know, we talked about regulation and things like that and talking about, oh, it's, it's nice to have labels on food items with calorie count and things like that, but like why is that a government requirement? Especially now, it's become so ingrained that I think the market would push towards there being labels anyway. If like, consumers demanded that. Yeah, exactly. And probably yeah. the companies that continue to have that expense would perform well. Mm-hmm. Like, why is it required? I mean, as, seems like an overstep. as a person with a light, life-threatening peanut allergy, I really appreciate <laughs> the requiring of the labels. True, but companies producing food probably don't want to deal with just the legal side of 
just random people dropping dead. I do think long term the market would solve for that. But I guess to me, it sounds like but. a market <laughs> solved for that with an FDA. Like, I'm, you know, like, I, I don't, <laughs> something solved for it. And if the, if it, like, it just, I don't know. <laughs> I think that there's, I think that a lot of these, a lot of government programs and agencies started with not all. But some, like Fruit Food and Drug Administration, started with a reasonable intention, right? Okay. And to protect consumers, for example, with the FDA. And that's, I'm not such a hardcore, like, anarchist, anti-government person that I would think that, like, that's not okay. Like, I that's that's kind of obvious right and that's not um i don't know to me that, that that's not like a threat to liberty um but the problem is these agencies and these programs balloon right. and they continue to grow thing is and they they reach deeper and deeper into people's lives and that's when they become problematic um and so it's important to have to be able to keep there is a role for government. It's important in my mind to keep government in check and keep it small mm-hmm. and limited. So here's and that's a, a fine line to walk. Here's a great example. And I believe this is something I heard from Fred, Friedman, but he was talking about drugs and the FDA and like, you know, wife's tale is that like you can take aspirin a couple times a week and it can help reduce chances of a heart attack, yada, yada, yada. The FDA will not allow it is illegal to print on a label that it can be used for like it has benefits to do this Mm. so a bunch of libertarian lobbyists said hey we want to push where that any drug producer can put on a label what they say it's viable for and what the fda says it's viable for and have both and then you can decide and the fda said nope you have to put on there what we say Right, so that's an example of it getting too big. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole breadth of homeopathic medicine that's just been, like, shunned by the FDA and therefore kind of pushed out of mainstream consumer choice for kind of that. Is, so is, that, is, I, is that's the, another is example. Is the problem that it's out of the mainstream site? Because, like, I, the, I mean, the mere fact that we're aware of homeopathic things that aren't FDA approved, like... Things still get labeled like not FDA approved, but that doesn't make it illegal to sell. It just means like the FDA hasn't processed or I don't know. Yeah, like the dumb example for me is like essential oils. The FDA won't put a stamp on that, but we use them still. Yeah, but a lot of people don't. I mean, there are a lot of people. So do you just want only trust what the FDA says? Okay. I just mean they have a they have a monopoly on like on that market, right? And they have like the power and the ability to coerce to like to dominate it. Mm-hmm. That's what's interesting is another problem I think libertarians have, or I would I think should have, is that government creates monopolies for themselves. And an example of that would be not so much now because we have great free market competitors, but like the post office. Like postal service in general, they built their own monopoly on 
shipping mail and it failed. Mm-hmm. Any private mail, like if tomorrow post office disappeared, everything disappeared and there was a mon- like say UPS ended up having the majority of the market on shipping stuff, I bet they wouldn't be failing. They'd be making a lot of money. But the post office loses like $4 billion a year or something. Well, and the part that's frustrating <laughs> about that is like, thank God, one, that there's private competition that's better at doing that, mm-hmm. right? It's more efficient and it's often cheaper. What's frustrating about that, though, is we still pay for this wildly inefficient mm-hmm. government agency that's bad at its job. And that is also like the other thing that like actually totally matters is that the public sector pension challenge is very real and like we are a lot of these agencies are going to be insolvent like not be able to pay the pension packages that they promised their employees and then what are we going to do you know i mean there the there's so much of it that's so bloated and not profitable it's it's just incredibly it's not sustainable mm. and we're all carrying the mm-hmm. burden of that when you said you, we need the Fed because we have to pay taxes, those things aren't, I mean, that doesn't, we can keep paying taxes and having that process and not, you don't need the Fed for that. Right, but they're kind of, they're kind of, right now it'd be really hard to wean them. Yeah, I mean, it would be a pretty big market yeah. shock. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> we'd recover. Alexander Hamilton and his <laughs> Federalists did a really good job building a pretty airtight system there. You'd have to, uh, you could rip the Band-Aid off, but. <laughs> yeah. Kat, do you have agencies um, that you would put on the, like, necessary list? Like, keep these things going? You know, I don't have, like, a, I don't really have a list. I used to joke that I'd dismantle all the acronyms of government. <laughs> Just do away mm. with them all. But, um, so, Torna, in defense, are we including, like, FBI, NSA, CIA? Um, I am, from what I've seen, they are so corrupt and above every, like, if there's one thing that is above everyone else, CIA, FBI are so corrupt and evil I can't even fathom it. Okay. Like, it's scary, the depths of... That's Those would probably be the first side. Next. Yeah, just get rid of them. <laughs> Especially the FBI. Mm-hmm. Okay. And any chance some of those... I mean, of course there's a chance, and of course it is real, but, like, I also hear defense. I don't know. I have heard... In recent episodes, when we start talking about, like, military, to me, sometimes, Torna, it sounds as if, like, the critiques of, like, inefficiency and corruption somehow don't happen in the military. Like. Oh, no. Yeah. And that's. And I think I'm mishearing you. That is not my intent. The amount of waste in the military is. Tremendous. Just look Tremendous. at the, uh, and I'm not going to say it's more than other right. agencies because I don't think. But it I is. mean, like, how many, how much money do we spend trying to replace the F-16 with? Was it the F-22 or F-35? Oh yeah. But like the uh, F-16 yes. is still better. <laughs> right, and part of that is uh, goes into well, part of the issues I have with just government funding any sort of research or development. Again, inefficiencies there. 
now we're seeing a lot more. Like a great example is the upcoming bids for new weapon systems for infantry. Hmm. Three, three private companies came in. Some of them had had contracts before, but they developed the weapon systems. They presented them, and then you know they win the bid. Now, granted, to be fair, I'm sure that there's government funding in there, but getting away from deep embedded bureaucracy of research is important too, because within the military, you have these leaders that are coming in and saying, hey, we want to develop this. This is the side you don't see. Coming in and saying, hey, we want to develop a new tank. And so they go through, they talk about what they want, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, you're looking at maybe 10 years of development. Six years into that, some other high-ranking individual takes on the previous general or whatever, head of research position and says, this is a really stupid thing. Let's tweak all this stuff. And then it gets shifted back six years and they have to go through another 10 year process. And then it happens four years later and it's just grinding the gears of progress, which we've mentioned before in things like regulation and law and Senate and Congress, gridlock is good because it slows down things and limits the infringements upon people. But in the world of development, as far as technologies, drugs, all of these things, that's a really bad thing. And that's where the private sector, I think, wins out. Mm. So, yeah, military spending is really inefficient. But the problem is military is super, super important. Because like I had mentioned before, the second that wavers, which some would argue it already is, there is a host of bad actors around the world that would jump on an opportunity like that. And this ties into talking about the negatives of libertarianism and prioritizing Ooh. individualism and things like that. As far as real, defense real quick and, before you move on, I would add to the list yeah. of agencies that I think we should keep. Again, I am personally connected to it, so maybe I'm a little biased, but I am very okay with the Federal Aviation Administration. Like a government being in charge of airspace and making sure planes don't hit each other and don't hit the ground and like pretty big fan of that. I'm okay with that. See, and I would argue that that's protected under what would be law and lawsuits and giving people a venue for grievances where the incentive for pilots for airlines is already there to make sure that that doesn't happen. I think there's like a false choice that like you either have a centralized government authority that, that like maintains order through control or you have complete and total fucking chaos. And I, it's not a binary choice between those two things. Like, individuals have an incentive to have, like, orderly, safe communities. And I think in most instances, the market, a.k.a. individuals working together, will solve for a lot of these problems. I think the question of whether or not a government body is needed to help facilitate that. It's a question of, of scalability where I think Mm. the military question, it probably doesn't make sense to have a private military force that could fund the kind of overseas, like world policing that we do that, like Mm -hmm. frankly in the real world, it's necessary to some degree because there are bad actors, you know, and like, so 
there probably isn't a practical private solution for that. But I think like maintaining an orderly airspace, I think those the companies that are flying in the air have enough of an incentive to like not crash into each other that there could be private there could be a private solution, something equivalent to the government agency, but that's privately run. And the thing is, is the amount of money that we save. I think the FAA, though, is so closely tied to things like national national security and like it certainly interfaces with a lot of private um, private actors. I mean, like I, I think I've even mentioned it before that your Bozeman International Airport, that's a private tower. That's not FAA run. What? Oh, so, is that right? Okay. Yes, that happens, but I think the airspace itself is closely tied enough to national security if we want to lump it in with defense eventually. It's also, I would argue, it, it is pretty efficient at the scale that we're trying to maintain it at. I think uh, like even, even the amount of work that, say, SpaceX has to do to make sure that you know, certain airspaces are on lockdown and that they, they clear their launch times just so the FAA is aware of what's going on I think that's effective. I think that's important. Also, um, consider like the immediate, like within hours um, response of the government having its channels of communication and having the control it had. Every plane in America that was crossing into America and leaving America that was still in American airspace, every plane within a few hours of the planes hitting the Twin Towers was grounded. And there wasn't a plane in the sky mm-hmm. for days because the government was able to be like, nope, put them all down. We can't have this happen everywhere. We don't know how large this threat is. And let's ask, act fast. Well, in that example, that could be, let's pretend our only government agency is the military. Maybe they could cooperate with private industry to, to negotiate something like that. And they would already have to with the amount of Air Force out there. I mean, you'd be cooperating with the private sector. And I'm not necessarily arguing for that. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah. I, I do think that there's... I guess my this is my cynical solution. viewpoint. It probably works fine. It does work fine because we're not having collisions with planes and things are working. But just because something is working well with the government, I don't see why it couldn't be and this is the issue with not wanting to give up rule. I would love to see a world where now that it's been kind of smoothed out, it can be transitioned into a private sector. And you can argue that, oh, well, then only Boeing and some of these people would be able to even get into the market and then they would have control of it. But I don't know if that's any worse than the government having control of it. I'm just Mm. skeptical. I just think that maybe it could be done better or at least the same. From a private. I think just about anything done via the private sector is going to be done at a lower cost with a better result than through the government. Yeah. Because the incentive structure is different. Incentives matter. And if you have a, a, a bottom line you're paying attention to, you try to deliver a good in the least costly way and you try and you have to retain those customers so you have to make sure you're giving them a good product at a good price because there's competition that like holds you accountable and the government doesn't face those same incentives they can deliver 
a slapshod shitty service at the DMV. And it doesn't matter because everyone has to keep going back. Mm-hmm. Well, so we're definitely just... in agreement on the DMV. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's like the classic thing everyone points to is like, it sucks, but it, it sucks. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sucks big time. <laughs> There's no reason that couldn't be filled. Right. Because it, you have to, I have no problem with, okay, maybe I do have a problem, but like, okay, they want to <laughs> know who's driving, yada, 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 licensing tests, blah, blah, blah. Why can't a private entity fulfill the requirements that government lines out? But then you have a cool DMV with great service and, you know, a better experience all around. Maybe it costs more, but you're in and out the door. You don't have to wait in line for two hours. And then you get inside and they're like, yeah, we're only doing uh, walk-ins from eight to nine. (laughs) This is a real story. What are you doing the rest of your day? You work nine to five, dude. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm not angry. So, <laughs> and your guys' DMV here is nothing compared. To oh yeah, the DMVs in the Bay Area. Wow. So there's there's there. a few things going on in my head. Uh, like when it comes to the, uh, I guess the balance between like delivering a good and, man, it's gonna sound really cliched, but but like protecting the public, I guess. And I know I'm in Billings, and I can kind of sense your eye rolls already, but like. With the FAA, here's one example is I was, I was pretty impressed hearing and seeing what I did about the FAA handling the, well, so maybe not the initial, but the FAA having the power to like make sure Boeing grounded the 737 MAX, going through the investigation, figuring out what's wrong with that plane. Mm-hmm. Like... The, the response to it now, of course, there are there are investigations already bringing to light that um, there were some people that basically didn't catch what they were supposed to do the first round of inspections. And if, so, of course, that right, reveals- because FAA also requires annual inspection of every plane, right. correct? Like a detailed yeah. inspection. Yeah. And yeah. And still, I feel OK with that because like, um, you know, B- Boeing needs one mistake to be become a like a famous like you know, people died because of Boeing's failure to, uh, like Mm -hmm. get this sensor going. And again, this probably has to do with maybe just like my lack of thinking about it or lack of education around what a free market would do. But there's, there's a level of, I like that the FAA was able to step in and do what seems to me like getting out ahead of it, you know, because I feel like in, in the free market system, like Boeing, of course, is incentivized to keep people alive. But some some uh, companies do not take that incentive and they'll take like separate incentives, whether that be profit or serving like a shareholder. And and some people will fall through the cracks. And in the case of aviation, like people die in a plane crash. Um, the other thing I've been thinking about mm-hmm. is like when we were when we talked about vehicle registration a few episodes ago and we talked about like the pay for what you use road system because that's that's effectively what like registering your vehicle does is it helps pay for uh, maintenance and all that that sounds really good in theory but then i think the problem breaks down when you run into like are we telling people in rural areas that will just naturally have worse roads 
that they have to pay exponentially more to keep that road maintained in order for like an ambulance to get to their house. And in that case, to me, it's like, I feel like my gut, (laughs) again, this might be wrong, but my gut is like the market would eventually just say like, well, yeah, get fucked if you live on a farm then if you can't pay for your own road. I think with the airplane example, one jumbo jet going down and killing people is enough of a PR nightmare that I don't companies aren't thinking about like how are we going to make our next buck on the next couple flights? They're thinking like how are we going to stay in business for the next like couple decades? Sure. Mm-hmm. I think that that's enough of an incentive that that like they don't want that to happen again my only qualm to that is and i don't know if this is true you obviously know a lot more about ffa than i do but they got ahead of it they found the problem but that's because the government allowed them to be the only game in the show oh you mean like airplane manufacturer well no no just like with annual inspections and things like that you have to go through that agency, right? He's saying FAA was able to solve the problem because, because they're, they're the, the only, only people th- to solve the problem. Yeah. Okay. And maybe maybe it could have been avoided if there was a different... Right. If there was a competition of different or maybe, private agencies. Maybe the government should be in competition with other people. Maybe the FFA should still be around. FFA is... But now is, the market's open. Uh, future Farmers of America, by the way. FAA is the... FAA. Yes. What were we saying? FFA. FAA, sorry. No, FAA. Um, F-A-F-A, fuck Yep. Yep. The fa. Maybe if there was some friendly competition. See who has better results. That wouldn't have, I mean, they would still get the amount of funding, which is a nightmare. Sure. So it's actually a horrible idea. You could slowly corrode it. But I would love to see Boeing be like, you know what? This is going to cost us more money, but we just don't want to deal with you. So we're going to go with this more expensive private company that's still giving me the results. It might not be more expensive in the it long run. It might not be. I think on the road question, I think like that's a, I mean, that's like a crappy scenario that you've outlined there, Henning. Um, there's a, but there's a lot of rural places in the United States. Yeah. And so that crappy scenario is actually probably pretty realistic. Sure. But then I look at like, I look at, you know, major thoroughfares in East Oakland that are the roads are trash Mm -hmm. with like massive potholes that'll like blow out your tire. And they've been that way for decades. And they never get fixed. No matter how many infrastructure packages we pass. True. That's also, you know, so like there has to be some sort of again, it doesn't need to be this binary choice of like, people are fucked and it's chaos and there's nobody there to help take care of them. Or we have this all power, all powerful centralized authority that manages everything. Like there's gotta be some middle ground where we can make sure that rural communities have functional roads. And we can also make sure that the government isn't so bloated and wasteful that the money never seems to go to the projects it's supposed to go to, you know, maybe we figure out, maybe we have a more slimmed down, decentralized local government where we are have a more there's more transparent process of of 
watching where our tax dollars go. So we're so we're or maybe we have more say in where our tax dollars mm -hmm. go and rural communities can get together and say, like, yeah, we all do want to pitch in and make sure that we have roads. And maybe we have, you know, a city council that helps us facilitate. that. Okay, so we're all the way back. That's different than having like Gavin Newsom like (laughs) campaign and become a multimillionaire mm-hmm. and go to the fucking French Laundry and spend thousands of dollars on a dinner with lobbyists and California has a like crisis after crisis after crisis that compounds every year mm-hmm. yeah. you know like there's got to be something in between those Which two things no we're all the right. way back to small and limited government we're not saying no government right. and we're not saying right. like all powerful right. authoritarian no. government there are anarchists people that probably fall somewhere on the libertarian spectrum that like legitimately think we don't need any government at all and i think that's crazy actually yeah but but that is but that is wildly impractical right like it just is and even if you even if you really do believe like that the private sector could do absolutely everything including scaling to having like efficient defense Uh even if you really think that like we're never undoing what we have now, right? Mm-hmm. Like that isn't happening. So, so right. we have to operate in the right. real world. And I think most libertarians aren't advocating for anything like that. They're just advocating for a more accountable, limited, reasonable government that we can actually afford and that actually delivers on the promises yeah. that it makes. Because right now we have an incentive structure where we just have career politicians that all become incredibly wealthy mm-hmm. public servants. And we have pension programs no one can afford. We have shitty roads. We have a homeless crisis. We have badly managed forests with 80 billion acres. That's not right. 80 million acres <laughs> in backlog that need restoration. I mean, it's just like the problems just get worse. And giving the government more power and more authority and more money is the definition of insanity. We're doing the same thing and expecting different results. And I think it's time we pause and reassess the model that we're operating within right now. Well, the kind of core to the, the, the libertarian point of view is to empower the individual, at least to some level. And limiting the individual and their ability to solve the problems that are present in this country, one, I find insulting. People that are so convinced that the government is capable of solving these complex problems. I'm dubious of, and, and I, like I said, I perceive that as very insulting. The government is beholden to the people, at least in this country. The people here are smart and innovative and resourceful, and they've proven to be so for hundreds of years. Obviously, that's true all over the world. But I was just going to say talking, all around the world for thousands of years. Right, yeah. and we're in, you know, we cooperate globally now, but I'm just speaking about the country we live in right sure. now. Give the people an opportunity to fix the problems in a private sense. I think it's possible, 100%. I think um, one thing that is ironic to me about like thinking of, of people who advocate for centralized power and, and bigger government is that they decry capitalism because in their mind it's run by a handful of major you know our whole market economy is dominated by a handful of 
major corporations. And space and billionaires. They're space cowboy billionaires. And space billionaires. Space cowboy billionaires that are selfish and yeah. greedy and you can't trust them. They don't give a shit about people. Yet, we think somehow those individuals are selfish and greedy and that's their human nature. But the all-powerful people that are in charge of our centralized government are benevolent? They have the same human nature as the people that are, you know, as the greedy capitalists that, mm -hmm. you know, like they're, we're all cut from the same cloth, so to speak. Right. But the people in government have a lot more control over your life. They have more control than over Bezos your life. ever will. And the reality is, as we were saying before, they have a monopoly on coercion mm -hmm. and they aren't held accountable in the same way that you would as a private actor would be. No one, no, a libertarian would never imply that there's benevolence anywhere in human nature there isn't but what's beautiful about <laughs> a system that allows that empowers the individual is they have more recourse basically competition holds people accountable choice holds people accountable that's how you root out greedy bad actors that are harming consumers you have competition somebody fills that void they mm -hmm. deliver a better product they're rewarded government doesn't have that same kind of accountability mechanism yes we can vote some people out but look at our fucking parties <laughs> they are incredibly powerful incredibly entrenched and i mean <laughs> nancy pelosi is a fucking nightmare and mm -hmm. she's not going anywhere and she's made millions of dollars over the course of her career doing really nothing at this point especially over the last six years she it's all political theater there's nothing real happening. There's no real legislation that's being passed that actually benefits anybody. It's handouts to special interests that then donate to her next campaign. I mean, she lives in a fucking walled mansion in one of the most expensive parts of San Francisco. And we all saw her fridge during COVID with her like $15 <laughs> pint ice cream. You know, like, I mean, she's so fucking detached from the real world. Right. But somehow she's a benevolent ruler that has everyone's best interests in uh, heart you know and, and uh, fuck that right <laughs> i want to back up and i know that this is not what you're saying but like anyone that lives in a walled mansion and has 15 dollars ice cream in their refrigerator that's awesome that's great keep doing it but why would you want those like you said if why would you think that those people given power care to serve you if someone's making enough money to live in a walled mansion because they've created a product or a service that millions of people like and are willing to pay for right. it. Good for you. Right. If you're just a career politician that does nothing other than sow division so that you can maintain your grip on power and you accumulate wealth by being a quote unquote public servant mm -hmm. that doesn't actually deliver any real value to people, but they're taxed to pay for you and your lifestyle. Those are two very different things. Very much so. This is a conversation we should have later because more and more I'm convinced that power, at least in the government sense, is a magnet and incentivizes incompetent people to get into power because competent people have no interest in that filth. I mean, we do often say like, why doesn't that guy run right. for office? Because he's in a sense not to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's being cynical. It is cynical, but. Do you have any other thoughts? Penning before maybe we discuss some of the negatives, some of the downfalls, because I think that's, I think there's I, a fair amount that's lacking. My only thought is I started laughing right before Cat 
no benevolence well so that that just made me chuckle because I'm, I'm thinking about our three Why? philosophers we had a whole conversation yeah. about the nature of man and i'm like oh, so oh, unless oh, you're oh, right, a right, right, yeah. guy um <laughs> you have it you know oh i see what uh, you mean but yeah, i also yeah, laughed yeah, pretty yeah. big right before you went on a rant about nancy pelosi and it was it was along the lines of <laughs> yes we have these career politicians like nancy pelosi or uh uh mitch mcconnell you know these these, yeah, uh, right. these clowns but until the libertarian party the legitimate capital l libertarian party can get their act together and front someone other than gary aleppo johnson um <laughs> like <laughs> fucking poor gary johnson. you will never live that down until then libertarians are going to be continued to be laughed at in this like to the same degree you know yeah, that's true. I don't have a brilliant plan for like dismantling the two party system and having more diversity of options. Yeah, well, but the mm-hmm. founding fathers it, it didn't even have a plan like, to dismantle two party politics after yeah. it happened. <laughs> Those dang federalists, um, anti federalists. It's it's got to be like a grassroots effort that just like enough people are like, you know what, we're not participating in this anymore, and we're not voting that way anymore, and we're not donating yeah, to these people anymore, yeah. and like, it all falls apart. But even then, the I mean, like, even at the beginning, it really, the guy who hated uh, partisan politics the most, um, Thomas Jefferson, was pretty much the one that we can lay the blame at his feet for helping create the two-party system, because it was in his anger against Hamilton and the Federalists that he created the Republican party. What I think was going to happen realistically before a grassroots effort happens, because most people it's rational. They don't pay attention and they don't care. But I think there will be so much inner fighting within the parties that they just split. Yeah. And we've, we've seen and that each have we've enough of a base. Of the right, you'll, have to, you'll have a progressive, whatever party you'll have yeah. the classic democratic and you'll have a, whatever libertarian party you have a trumpy populist right right and then you'll have like a but it'll always distill down no republican it'll always distill down to just and that two might be majority parties though i i don't think we ever see a fracturing enough where we have like five equal parties vying for the same seat like you could you could have a point though where like the two major parties split into four and none of them have enough of a base. And maybe that's the moment where like the libertarians yeah, are able to be the voice for of reason one election, that like can yeah. swoop for up For one enough. election that happens and then the libertarian party is in the majority and then a coalition then of the everyone else. And then they dismantle the whole well, government. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but for one election, the libertarians become a majority. They win a big office. And then the next election is going to be basically the anti-libertarian party. It's just like whoever is sick enough of the libertarians just become the next like party, the way, like one versus one. See, it's all, I honestly don't think I'm we're going to get away from 1v1. We're just, we are primed and we are really good at recognizing like red team versus blue team. You know, this... <laughs> This team runs to yeah. that end zone. The actually, other one runs to the other end zone. I see a fracturing that's occurring that's more, I would say, leaning in the opposite direction. In that you have the 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 Trumpian kind of Republican, and you have the Progressive Party that are at such odds with 
more traditional Democrat, more traditional Republican, that they're going to be, they're a lot more aggressive than the other, like, mm-hmm. peers in their party right now as two parties. I could see a world where, especially progressives, get so wild that the Democrats and, like, the more centrist Democrats and Republicans kind of are forced to get together just to be like, this is going I actually think I think you're kind of right there. I think um, I think the Republicans actually will probably be able to maintain unity within their party better than Democrats will be able to do because mm-hmm. the progressives have been quietly bubbling under the surface within the Democrat Party for a long oh, time. Oh, yeah. And every now and, and again, you'll finally, see they'll, they'll see the trouble that they're stirring. Yeah. And but well, and they're finally now in a position where they have. Power. Not not absolute by any means, right? But like, and I think there's kind of a misconception even about the Biden administration. Like, I'm in the policy world, and some of the folks that I talk to tell me, like, yeah, publicly they kind of let the progressives like run their mouth and have you know and woo the media. But like the serious people that are in important positions, not all. There definitely are some radical people in important positions, but like. The people running the show, quote unquote, are like more traditional yeah, Democrats. It's like but Joe Manchin that aside, versus I think AOC. That, well, I mean, like within like department heads, oh, within agencies gotcha. of the government, like th- those people who are like really running shit. Um, but because we all know Congress um, is a joke. But I do think now, th- right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now that like they have enough, and that's another fucking pro- problem, right? Like those are the people who are directly accountable. Congress is. And they've largely abdicated their power to the central government. And the central government is made up of a bunch of bureaucrats that are not directly accountable to the people. And like that are just hired instead of. But I think. Yeah. And I think that the but I think the progressives have gotten a taste of power and they've been waiting for so long. They are not going to relinquish that. And the Democrat Party, probably the, its greatest strength has been its ability to communicate effectively and to maintain a unified message and to keep their dirty laundry secret. It's a very effective political machine. The progressives are throwing a wrench in that because they aren't off playing with, with that playbook. And that's why they're attractive to a lot of people and a lot of people respect that. And, you know, I largely don't align with them ideologically but i kind of respect that they're pushing back against this giant machine so i think if there is going to be any like serious splintering where like a party really is divided i think it's going to start on the left Mm -hmm. and i think if that happens it'll unify the right and that'll be an interesting yep evolution but we'll see so you want to talk about criticisms yeah, that feeds well into we can maybe well kind of a sad note to close on, but there's some inner party problems in the Libertarian Party that I just learned about. Oh, all right, far away. Well, I never I'm registered as a Libertarian, mm-hmm. but I've never frankly been I've haven't like paid a lot of attention to the Libertarian Party because I live in the real world and they're kind of irrelevant, unfortunately, which yep. is sad. You know, um, you know, so that's just the way it is, but um. Turns out 
there's a ton of inner party fighting happening mm. right now. Like literally like things came to a head this last June. And what really makes me sad is that there were two dominant caucuses, the Pragmatist Caucus and the Mises Caucus. And it makes me really sad because Ludwig von Mises is my favorite economist. And I hate that they've tainted his name. But the Mises Caucus is like kind of insane from what I can gather. And they've been like vying for power within the party Mm -hmm. against the Pragmatist Caucus. Basically, pragmatists are pragmatic and they want to win elections and they focus on fundraising and Mm -hmm. they focus on grooming candidates. And like that's their aim. So they're more willing to compromise, whereas the Mises caucus was traditionally always more like principled and like kind of stuck on the fundamental tenets of libertarianism Mm -hmm. and like wouldn't compromise on that. And they've been vying for power, but like this kind of ugly cohort has taken over the Mises caucus and they say that they're just like pushing back against woke, like big government BS they're also accused of like basically they're inflammatory and people within the libertarian party now are saying like it's the Mises caucus encompasses like some rational people but then a lot of people who are just like somehow like alt-right wackos so it's kind of been like corrupted and it's sort of rotting from the inside out which is really sad and um Sad again because Mises was a great economist and a good man, and I hate that his name is associated with that now. Um, but there was a coup, an attempted coup within the New Hampshire Libertarian Party, and basically the Mises caucus like literally like took over and started their own Libertarian New Hampshire Party and stole the social media accounts like took over broke into and took over the social media accounts of the like original new Mm -hmm. hampshire libertarian party and started tweeting out crazy shit and it just all blew up and now basically the pragmatist caucus has disbanded they no longer exist you go to their website and they have this like sad like (laughs) goodbye letter Mm -hmm. and (laughs) and and like the mises like the new hampshire the New Hampshire party like regained control of their social media accounts and like that ended, but like the pragmatist caucus like disbanded. So the Mises caucus was like victory. We, we won that little battle. And so they're like kind of wild now to control for a little flavor. Here's one of the, you'll like this one. I don't know why this made me think of you heading, but like one of their crazy tweets in June was John McCain's brain tumor saved more lives than Anthony Fauci. <laughs> so they just say things wow. like that all the time right right <laughs> and their messaging well, is insane and so the, right. the actual libertarian party is like oh my god what do we do about these guys like they're not just a thorn in our side like they're so ruining work the libertarian work brand these people are an insane yeah yeah yes you so mean to tell kind of me that a national so. political party organized around not organizing has a hard time getting a central message to put together. You mean to tell me? <laughs> hey, there's actually really great messaging, but yeah. Right. And this is where this is where some of the negatives come into play. And don't relish this I, too much, Henning. I just, this is where 
<laughs> but this is where problems start to to show up is with on the extreme side of it in like its purest maybe pragmatic form or no sorry not the pragmatic form in the, <laughs> yeah. in the more mises principled theoretical principled, theoretical yeah it doesn't give much acknowledgement i would say to reality right. and how people work and yeah. how things are already working yeah the constraints you have to operate in right yeah there's some it's like doing a math problem you've got some givens and some and they're kind of like throwing out all the givens like we're gonna do it our way mm-hmm. you're running in all these errors and cannot computes and divided by zero <laughs> and it's like oh if you just if you just looked at the rule book yeah and you know, took a couple of the essential ones and then maybe we can make some progress here. And yeah. as far as like individualism goes, I think I've mentioned this before, like how individualism, I think, can go too far. And with libertarianism, I get that feeling where, well, this goes back to um, progressives. I have a fear that the argument can be made with libertarianism from an individual level that there's not really a good argument for things like borders or citizenship yeah in a in a world that's so individualistic so i can see that being latched on i mean you're not a pure libertarian no definitely not libertarians argue that like free trade is the answer to war like there's no need for war and they probably they're not cool with the amount of defense spending yeah what's this today what's the the saying where goods cross borders so soldiers do not peace right something something like like that. that yeah and libertarians are for free trade, mm-hmm. which um, I value. They uh, respect national sovereignty. Mm-hmm. So I think in that regard, there's a role for borders, right? But they're definitely for like pretty unencumbered right. free flow of immigration. And the problem I have with that and why that's such a negative for me is when you go at that individual level and you're not looking at different, I don't know, when you look at people at just an individual level, you miss a lot of context of cultural differences among people. Yes. And I think that's a really bad thing. There are a lot of really unique, interesting peoples. And focusing in too close, you lose a lot of that. And that's where I think libertarianism in those eyes can actually start to shift towards I hate using these buzzwords, but like neocolonialism and like trying to convert the individual who's a part of a collective culture that doesn't value those things. Do <laughs> you think libertarians would be colonialists? In spreading their ideology. But their ideology is about empowering individuals to be themselves and do what they want to do so they can apply whatever culture they want to that. Right, but that's not compatible with a lot of the cultures that are really old cultures. It's also, it's also does like, that make, does that tra- like tra- what, for example? Go ahead. A lot of more remote Asia, old countries, well, some South American countries, Ethiopia, they're old, old cultures. You're saying those cultures don't, aren't compatible with they individual liberty? They're not that it's incompatible, but it's. The individual liberty idea has become so prominent that, like, the collective has been forgotten. At least that's how I perceive it. 
That's why people come here. Maybe, yeah. Because they're trying to get away from individual liberty and rights. I'm being sarcastic. Right. No, we couldn't tell at all. <laughs> I just don't. I I don't see how that's like a bad. I don't. I don't see how. Well, so I think I think what Torna is getting it's what I not, what but, I sometimes he, like get the vibe off of libertarians is that it's like we're trying to create a culture that is like built around individualism but the like i think the translation of like pretty radical individualism like it, we lose the collective element of like you eventually have to like collect yourself somehow it's like saying i'm an individual libertarian and this is going to feel like it or sound like it's throwing you under the bus but i'm also registered as a libertarian um that like just inherently you're bought into a culture that exists, but that culture doesn't want to acknowledge that it itself exists because it's trying to found itself on only individualism. Well, I don't think libertarians advocate for like not having community or not functioning in a society. They're not isolationists. Yeah. They just want to empower individuals to make their own choices and you can choose to observe whatever culture you want to observe right without restriction in fact i think out of all of the political parties that operate in america today that's the one that probably gives each culture the most uh free reign to practice whatever it is they want to practice yeah i think i, I actually uh, there's a mini series that freakonomics uh just did um the last two episodes are called the u.s is just different so let's stop pretending we're not and then the pros and cons of America's extreme individualism is literally the latest episode. Mm -hmm. You mm, guys should definitely listen to it because I, I think what Torna and I are trying to highlight is that like the, like advocating for individualism is good, but we run into a roadblock when we, when like we refuse to acknowledge that other cultures literally just don't care. Like they're not like, whatever's in the mother's milk or in the air or something like that. Like some cultures are just collectivistic and that they would be honestly confused by us trying to say like, but don't you see why like individualism is better for you? Like, cause some people are just not built to the, recognize the, the, that. The, the global history, the history of the world is not, valuing the individual because now obviously things have changed with how affluent things have become but like uh, the individual doesn't matter your community does your collective does and there's so many cultures that are so deeply right. ingrained in that it's just it's hard to like how would libertarianism translate to the majority of how the world thinks that's the challenge Maybe I need to listen to this oh, Freakonomics episode. Please do. There's a lot of really good social science on it. Of what you guys are, what you guys are driving and at. This is, and this is another, I, I mean, okay, we, we should talk, we talk about this more later too, because I've got a lot of thoughts on this. Part of this stems from just me diving more into what I believe from a religious standpoint, from a Christian standpoint. And more and more, I'm realizing that I don't know if it's possible to be a Christian and really align with any party. At the end of the day, I just got so a excited. Torna, in my view, a political a political party shouldn't align with a religion. 
That's where like well, libertarians exactly. want to have such a limited government that you don't have to think about how your voting impacts your religion or how your religion mm-hmm. impacts your voting because the government has such a limited role in your day-to-day life that it doesn't it, do, it doesn't intersect right. with your religious beliefs. And that's I guess where I'm having a hard time understanding what, what your your um cultural that's, challenge. That's well y- Libertarian gives libertarianism or classical liberalism gives people the room and the choice and Mm -hmm. the freedom to live their lives if they see fit. And if that means that there's like boroughs of a community in a city that share the same culture and traditions and religious views and want to live that way and adhere to those things, and maybe they even have like a little, I don't know, maybe they all barter and have their own little quasi collectivist thing happening in one little borough. So long as that isn't a central authority making them mm-hmm. do that and making everyone else do that, libertarians don't really care. You can do what you want. So long as I'm not being told that I have to do what you're doing because the central government is telling me I have to. So I just don't see, I think, it, I think there's plenty of room for virtually any culture, unless your culture is, you know, authoritative and mm-hmm. domineering then yeah, that's not compatible with like any American principle. But anyway, you don't think that being, I, I agree. I don't think being a Christian really yeah, no, is compatible I, no, with any I political party. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it should be in the, it's a whole nother topic, which I think I'll be discussing tomorrow. On, yes, join uh, me, my oh, friend, cool. over on my um, other show. Yes, we'll be talking about politics and Christianity specifically and why it tends to track more progressive politics with more progressive christianity oh. conservatism with more traditional christian values whatever anyway i think that kind of all is blown out of the water for me thinking differently i think you're kind of called to be less individualistic at least i'm being convicted to think wow. more so so just you know something to to think about but the other problem i see with libertarianism is the idea that and this again goes back to having strong convictions about things i don't know if there's any good in being completely and totally okay with people doing whatever they want so long as they're not hurting someone else being totally completely okay with the idea that someone could be seriously harming themselves from a political standpoint just doesn't jive with me because there's so many things that don't hurt me that i've seen are causing really really deep horrible long-term negative side effects for individuals, which you could argue is then now hurting other people around them. But that's something that I think is a big downside with it. Like legalizing drugs and someone gets addicted and that's painful for them and potentially their loved ones. Yeah, I don't even know if drugs is necessarily that. It's more more thinking long-term mental health issues that have arisen through maybe individualism. I don't know. Hmm. I'm starting to think that in the way Henning and I were were interpreting self-interest in different ways, I think we might be interpreting Maybe. individualistic and individualism in different ways. Mm. I don't know yet. We gotta think. I gotta. <laughs> I we'll gotta take dig a, a little we'll take before a I have an answer to that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Get the brain juice. Which flowing, essentially, this is also juices. this is also kind of the. Uh, the basis of my tweet earlier this week where like, can we start talking about individualism 
and collectivism? Can we have this conversation in a more nuanced way, which we're definitely having right now is like, it's not just a like individualism versus collectivism. I really think there's a, a question of like a spectrum going on that hasn't been recognized. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some cultures will tip into the extreme either way. Some will lean either way, uh, either significantly or only slightly from the center. But that, that this conversation is a lot more interesting than just saying like the libertarian utopia is of course better than like the worst of the communist regime, <laughs> like has had to offer. You know, it's like right. obviously right. the extremes can go poorly. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. and whether there's things that don't jive with me or I have my own personal convictions that are, you know, making me interpret politically where I lie, you know. One of the, just looking at it more matter of the fact, one of the reasons why I think libertarianism in the United States isn't really getting a hold of any power or anything like that is because at its root, it is nonviolent. Or, you know, one of the values is like not to coerce and things like that. Yeah, it's nonviolent. That, sadly, sometimes is required. In this political system, yeah, to get what you want, you're also you're also bumping into you're the right. messaging. So they're 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 playing by they're playing at different roles. They're right. playing with rules that right. aren't even part of the same but game. That's a yeah. Good you're way also to bumping it, yeah. into the the messaging mm-hmm. problem of like, vote for me, give me the power to basically hand the power back. When I think just what has been revealed with the direction that both Republican and Democratic the these parties have gone is that. Uh, it seems like a lot of voters don't want the government to give the power back. They kind of want the government to solve the problem or be part of the solution, mm-hmm. you know? And the libertarians have this challenge of being like, first they have to convince you at a like an identity level of, <laughs> like, convince me that I actually don't want the government to do that. And I that that's the first major challenge and why squabbles and caucuses splitting the national party appear so silly to me because that that seems so far away from the actual problem that the libertarian party faces it's like mm -hmm. the the, the messaging again like that was kind of my joke is like wait the party that's organized around nothing or very little should be organized is having a problem it just (laughs) well they have a lot to be organized around in terms of like philosophy and principles yeah beliefs right but i get what you're saying look personal responsibility isn't a sexy message (laughs) it should be right but it isn't it isn't you know and like that's what libertarians are selling and there are there's at least half the country that like doesn't that thinks that like a central power should solve their problems yeah Mm -hmm. i mean or that they even can biden's ushering in a cradle to grave entitlement state and a lot of people fucking like that there's nothing remember life of julia under obama do you remember when he no. was rolling out obamacare and they and they had they had they had this whole simulation of called life of julia and it was this like animated cartoon of julia who basically it showed all the ways that government well i would describe it as she was dependent upon but mm-hmm. they framed it as like government helped her and it was literally from like 
kindergarten through retirement there was like some subsidy she was getting the entire time and it was supposed to be this like utopian vision of yeah. and of course it was a total flop because everyone was like fuck life of julia that right. sounds like a nightmare <laughs> yeah. i don't want to be julia wow. but anyways but like that we're ushering that in and there's at least i think maybe not a full half but like a good chunk of the country like is totally okay <sighs> with that and maybe they wouldn't be if they understood like the costs and how bad the service would be and yada yada but like I think you're right that, um, yeah, I think there's a fair amount of people in the country who don't have a problem with a big government being meddling in a, yep. much of their life. Yep. So, so man, been all over the place. I'm, this conversation here. certainly yeah. needs to continue, but I don't think I can do it this evening. No, I there think we we've are. tapped out. Well, I think so. cheers, my friends, to libertarianism. <laughs> Whatever that means to cheers. you. <laughs> libertarianism. Yeah, exactly. This poor part. To the Pragmatist oh. Caucus. May it rest in peace. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Whiskey Bench. If you would do us a favor, please tell a friend about the show in person, with a text, or by sharing about it on social media. You can join us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest, all at Whiskey Bench Pod. And don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Remember, always drink responsibly. And cheers to a fulfilled life with all its beauty. Stephen, what do you think Ravel is about? I think Ravel is a podcast about how to effectively market our cult. No, no, no. Ravel is a show that shares the basics on how to get into the afterlife in three easy steps. Okay, okay, cut it out, you guys. Ravel is really about why SpongeBob SquarePants is the best story for teaching atonement theories. But how will your belief in God's atonement change when we prove that aliens exist? I mean, it would probably cause an even greater number of spiritual emergencies in the church. Or maybe everyone is just going to conclude that aliens are demons because we can't explain them. If you are thinking about all of these questions too, come have a drink with us. Follow Ravel wherever you get your podcasts. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.